Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I want to talk to you tonight about three things that hinder progress. Three things that hinder progress. Anybody want to move forward? Anybody want to move on? Got a couple of you. Rest of y'all might either want to stay where you are or go backwards. Those are the only other alternatives, really. With God, actually, it's not even staying where you are because if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. If you're not advancing and taking territory, then you are taking up ground. And he says that those that take up ground will eventually be removed, be plucked up from the earth. And so we want to be advancing. We want to be moving towards something. And um, I thank God, you know, the Word of God tells us that the kingdom uh, will advance. The kingdom will go forth. The kingdom will take territory. And so we need to be that church. The kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And so, um, you know, just kind of in light of everything going on, I believe that the church is in prime time and prime opportunity for some things that God wants to do in the earth today. You know God is up to something. Amen? He didn't fall asleep at the wheel. He didn't get surprised when all this stuff started coming out like, oh no, what are we going to do? He knows exactly what he's up to. Amen? And so I want to find out what God is up to and I want to keep moving forward. This is not a time to stall out. This is not a time to go backward. This is not a time to, uh, you know, you know, shrink back. You know, Jude tells us that we are to contend for the faith. Do I have any contenders? I mean, you're either a contender or a pretender, amen? I want to be a contender for Jesus. I want to fight for Jesus. I want to take ground for Jesus. That means there's opposition. That means there's things. I don't have to contend for something if, uh, you know, there's no opposition. Like my son, he's about to find out in a few months, he's going to have to contend for stuff. For nine years, he's had it all to his own. He hasn't had any competition. But there's somebody else getting ready to move in the house that's going to be like, oh, I see that toy, and I want what you got. I don't want what I, I didn't even know what I wanted until I saw you want it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So he's going to have to contend for it. Get your hands off my stuff. Go to your room. Go. Yeah. They are going to be nine years apart, but there's going to be some ownership stepping in like, whoa, you're stepping on my territory, bro. Step back. He's going to have to contend for some stuff. Amen. Three things that hinder progress. Man, if there wasn't any hindrance to progress, it would just be easy, right? Advancement's not automatic. I said advancement's not automatic. If you want to walk into some things and see some things take place in your life, you're going to have to stand your ground. You're going to have to take up, uh, you know, some contention within you and going to say, you know what, we're going to remain in this. Anybody standing for healing in their body? Yeah, yeah. Anybody standing for maybe some financial breakthrough in your life? Uh, Maybe you're standing in the gap for somebody that you know is on their way to hell right now. They're lost. They don't know Jesus, and you're standing in the gap for them. Well, we got to understand that advancement's not automatic. The only thing that's guaranteed, if you leave it alone, is death. Right? Deterioration is automatic. 
You leave something alone for a little while and it will, it will not, you will not come back and find progress. You'll come back and find things grown that you never planted, right? Come on. So what does that mean? We've got to stay stirred up with this thing. We've got to recognize, okay, if I want to advance, I've got to be intentional. I've got to be disciplined. The only thing that's automatic if you leave it alone is, is death and deterioration. So we have to recognize what are some things that hinder progress. The first one, number one that I have for you, the three things that hinder progress, number one is what it was. What it was. What it was. I'm going to give you a few passages here right off the bat. We'll kind of talk about this element of what it was. Exodus chapter 14. The first one I want to look at is in verse 10. Exodus 14 and verse 10. It says this, and when Pharaoh drew near. So Moses has just brought the Israelites out of the grip and out of the bondage and out of the hold that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had on the Israelites. They knew a deliverer was coming. They knew there was a promised land. They had just spent over 400 years in slavery and in bondage. We've been looking at this for quite a while now, these these last several weeks. And uh, we see that Moses has delivered them. They've come up to the Red Sea now. And it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, so they cried out to God, oh, God, deliver us. But they cried out to Moses, and they said this to Moses. "Uh, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Notice they're complaining about the very deliverance that they prayed about yesterday. Anybody ever done that in life? The very thing you prayed about one day is the the very thing you complained about the next day. Oh, God, why'd you give me this business? And you were praying that it would take off. God, why'd you give me this spouse? And you were praying for a spouse. Oh, God, why'd you give me? So what, what happens is, is what we begin to highlight is what it used to be. Look, we're in the middle of progress. And the second opposition shows up, and the second a challenge arises, a second, the, the, the second that something comes to try to stop your progress, hinder your progress, what do we start looking at? We start highlighting all the stuff that we had in the season we were in before. Well, when I was single, I could do whatever I wanted to do. You prayed for that spouse. You prayed for that wife. You prayed for that. You were on your knees begging the Lord. Oh, God, if you just, I will be the man of God you call me to be. I'll be the right person so I can find the right person. And then you find the right person and you found out, you know, single life wasn't so bad. (laughs) Right? You know, you you realize, man, living paycheck to paycheck mean I didn't have to be such a great steward. I mean, I knew where the money was going. Now I've got this surplus, got this excess, and now I have this responsibility to steward it well. Right? So we recognize that uh, these Israelites, they're highlighting what it used to be. Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Watch this, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians 
than that we die in the wilderness. Listen to this communication right now. They just saw the hand of God move with 10 plagues. They just saw the hand of God deliver them out of the grip of Pharaoh. They put the blood on the doorpost and every firstborn child of Egypt died, but not one child was lost of the Israelites and of God's people. They just watched God move miraculously. And now they're saying it would have been better. It would have been better. Look at this one, Exodus chapter 16. It would have been better. Exodus chapter 16. One thing that hinders progress is what it was, what it used to be. We got our eyes going backward. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I mean, they're not even facing a real enemy right now. They're just hungry. Or they actually are hangry. Anybody ever been hangry? My wife tells me that I get hangry. What are we going to eat? The inevitable conversation. What do you want to eat? It's the dumbest question in the world. <laughs> I just wish there was just one restaurant, just one choice. Just give me one choice. I don't need 18 choices, and none of them sound good. They're just hungry. And they think they're going to die in the wood. But, but, I mean, look at this. What are they looking? At least we could have died next to pots of meat. I mean, the conversation, the, the things that they're even bringing up just sounds so ridiculous. And we all laugh like we would never do that. But on the inside, like, I just did that this afternoon. I, <laughs> right? We complained about going to church before, but then it was like, Oh, if the doors were just open, if I could just be there, you know. I mean, this is the, the I mean, our, our, our perspective can be so small sometimes. And, and what we look at in the midst of trial and in the midst of hindrances, in the midst of opposition, what we get our eyes on. Exodus chapter 17. I'll give you one more. Exodus chapter 17. Such a sad case, these, these Israelites. Verse 1. Exodus 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So, so far we've dealt with Pharaoh's army coming up against them when they're in between, you know, the Red Sea and the Egyptians. They get hangry and now they're thirsty. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Notice they contended with Moses. We see, when we get our eyes off of where we're going and we start getting our eyes on what it used to be, you'll be wasting your energy fighting the wrong battles. They're contending with the one that's helping them. And see, if I waste all my energy trying to go backwards, then I won't have any energy to continue to move forward. 
And this is what happens is then we begin to turn on those that are for us. Those, these people are with us. Why are you fighting with the ones that are for you? But we, we get our battle all mixed up. We, who are we really fighting? Who are we really contending against? What are we really up against? They contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? So then we begin to fight the wrong people. And this is the thing we have to understand. In a true test of faith, there will be a desire to go back. In a real true test of faith, one of the key uh, indicators that you're moving into the things of God is that you want to move back to where you were. And you start thinking of how good you had it. It's all of a a sudden, we start highlighting the blessing of slavery rather than the bondage of slavery. I mean, these were horrible years for them. But then we just start highlighting all the good stuff about it. Well, we had food. Well, we had water to drink. Well, we could have served them, and at least they took care of us. They made sure our needs. And see, the enemy will keep you running back to his stuff because he will take care of you just enough to keep you coming back. Yeah. You know, the enemy will fund your sin. He'll make sure you have enough money to buy whatever is breaking you. Whatever is keeping you in, but he will make sure that there is the, the money's there. He will make sure you have all the wrong relationships in your life. You're not alone. You're just around the wrong people. And he'll make sure they find you. Yeah. That's what the enemy will do. The enemy will keep you running back to all the stuff that God has set you free from. And this is a hindrance to our progress. I've, I see so many people all the time struggle not with, they don't, it's not that they don't know where to go. It's that they haven't removed their past far enough from them. And they keep it just close enough that I, I don't want to get too far out because this has to be within reach. It's a, it's a safety to them. It's a stronghold to them. It keeps them bond, in, in bondage. And they keep the past within arm's reach So that if everything goes haywire, I can always run back to this. Run back to familiarity. Run back to what I know. The promised land is up ahead of them. Manna is up ahead of them. Miracles are up ahead of them. Taking territory is up ahead of them. Being the head and not the tail is ahead of them. Being above and not beneath is what's ahead of them. But they want to run back to being the tail. And they they want to run back to being beneath what the enemy will do a desire for what was will keep you from what is yet a desire for what was will keep you from what is yet and so as we're on this advancement and as we're on this journey and as we're on this uh this this taking by force and this this progression that God has called us on, there are some things that we have to watch out for that will hinder our progress. And the first one is this desire to go back to what it was. I'm going to tell you right now, your past is not better than your future. I don't care how good you had it. 
I don't care how good it felt. I don't care what it looked like. I don't care the, all the people that were around you. Where you're going is far greater than what's behind you. Do not even tolerate a conversation with the enemy of, well, at least you had this, and well, at least you had that. And maybe the things that you don't have in the next season, you don't need in the next season. Maybe those are the very things God's trying to eliminate off your life so that you can advance and do the things he's called you to do. Amen? So number one is what it was. Number two, number two, the second hindrance to progress, what it is, what it is. What it was and what it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Man, there's so much ahead of us. There's so much to look forward to. There's so much to have our eyes on. There, God is doing something great. And the past is not where our eyes need to be. But now the second one is what it is. You've heard me say before that vision sees what it can be. Sight sees what it is. Vision sees what it can be. Vision sees what it is not yet. But sight, when we live sight-driven, then we get our eyes only on what it is right now. And what it is right now will rob you from what it can be. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul put it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What's he saying? I have my focus somewhere else. I'm not moved by what I see happening around me. I'm not moved by what the present tense looks like right now. I'm not moved by, by circumstances and uh, challenges and situations and, well, these people left and I only have this much. What it is right now can rob you from what it can be if we have our eyes fixed on that. But he says, even though. So he's not denying the challenges and not denying the obstacles. He's saying, I just don't have my focus there. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now he's trying to help you understand what now really looks like. And I know when we're in now, it feels like forever, right? It feels like this is the way it's always going to be. It's hard to, to see us beyond this. But man, I, I just, I think one of the biggest thing that God wants to shift sometimes in our life isn't the circumstance, but it's our perspective. He's trying to help you understand this is just momentary. This is just for a short while. This isn't always going to be this way. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And he's not talking about now all of a sudden I have to be a homeschool parent. Now all of a sudden I have to figure out how to do, how to work from home, right? He's talking about real struggle. I got teachers over here laughing because you're laughing at all the parents that are like, ha ha, are you? Y'all figured out in week one it wasn't your child that was the problem. <laughs> it took you four days of homeschool to realize, man, I, 
My kid actually does have an issue. <laughs> I kept telling my teacher that my child was perfect. I learned it real quick. They ain't. When can you go back to school? Let's open these things up. No, he's talking about real struggles. He says, but this is just momentary. He says, it's working for us. Did you know your momentary challenge right now is actually working for you? An exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we do not look at. And again, he's not saying I'm denying. He's not saying I'm ignoring. Yeah, I heard what the doctor said. Yeah, I saw what the bank account said. Yeah, I, I, I know what is happening right now. But I'm not going to be in denial of it. But I am not going to be moved by it, is what he's saying. If you actually look these words up in the Greek, he's not saying I won't, I'm denying it or ignoring it. Oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't have that. Or No, it's not that way. No, what he's saying is, is I don't place my gaze and my focus on it. Right? That's what he's saying. I'm not focused on it. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Temporary. You know what that word temporary means? It means subject to change. That's what that means. Yeah, your momentary light affliction right now that you're feeling, that you're engaged in, the warfare, the battle, the struggle, the challenge, whatever it is, it's momentary and it is subject to change. That means it has to come under or be subjected to change. Well, what's going to change your situation? Your faith? What's going to change your situation? God's miracle working power? Come on, whatever you need right now is it, whatever is happening is subject to what God can do. Amen. Sickness and disease is subject to change. Financial lack is subject to change. Anxiety and depression is subject to change. Inferiority and insecurity is subject to change. It's subject to it. That means it comes under. No, it doesn't rule. Word, the, the word of God rules. The word of God reigns. And so he says, what is seen is temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what is another thing that hinders my progress? What it is. And what I have to recognize is what it is right now. What the way that it is right now is not the way it's always going to be. It's temporary. Come on, you need to grab that word today. The way it is right now is not the way it's always going to be. The way that it is right now, it cannot stay this way. This sickness has to go. This breakthrough has to come. This challenge has to break. It's temporary. It will not stay this way. It won't be this way forever. It won't be this way forever. He says, that's what it is, but that's not the way it's going to stay. Look at this in Philippians. I want to show you more perspective on what it is. So what do I do while it is what it is? 
You ever heard that statement? It is what it is. I heard a comedian say one time, he says, the, the statement, it is what it is, is always used in a negative connotation. <laughs> he said, I've never heard anybody say, I want a million dollars. It is what it is. <laughs> no, it's always used like, you know, nothing I can do about it. It's not the way I want it to be, but it is what it is. It is what it is. But look at what, look at the perspective that Paul has here in Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Reminder, he's writing this from a jail cell. Reminder, he's writing this in real lockdown. Not, not this quarantine stuff that we're all experiencing right now. He's, we're talking about real Lockdown. He's been locked away. He's contained. But look at, look at what he says. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Look at this perspective. This is a prison perspective right here. It's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He's saying, you know, I'm getting ready, I'm getting to minister to people I never would have gotten to minister to. See, I really believe all this stuff that's happened to the church in the last couple months has, has backfired on the enemy. I heard someone tell me the other day, they said, there has been more, and this was just an honest, transparent answer, but they said, there's been more of God in my home than ever before because I've been watching services online. He said it made me realize I was being a Christian at this house, but I wasn't taking it back to my house. He said now it's in my home. I've got worship music playing in my home because I can't go to church to hear. That's a, that's a prison perspective. Lockdown actually made this individual bring God into his house. It actually made him be a Christian outside of this building right here. That he's doing it out there now. Because they can't do it here. That's called a prison perspective. It is what it is. But I'm going to make sure that what it is proves fruitful and productive and moves me forward. See, I can allow what it is to take me backwards or I can allow what it is to move me into what God is trying to do. And maybe God is trying to do something new. I mean, of all the entities to break Facebook, why not the church? I mean, I heard that, 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 that church Sunday mornings, Facebook was struggling to keep all the Facebook Live stuff going because all of a sudden, every church in the world is going live at almost the same time, at least here in the United States. I mean, I was wondering that because a lot of these churches, they have like eight different service times. And I'm like, online like you're not worried about filling up an auditorium and but they said the reason why we do that is because the bandwidth won't allow a million people to watch the same service at the same time so we spread it out if it locks up on you at 8 30 you can watch it at 9 30 i said that's interesting that makes sense well the church is breaking the internet the church is getting overloaded there's more word on the internet today, there are more pastors preaching the word than ever before. 
our Easter drive-in service. I had someone uh, email us from North Carolina. I know that's not that far, but North Carolina, like, listen to our Easter service. Commented how awesome it was, and the message moved them, and the worship moved them, and they were just so thankful that we made that happen. I was like, you know, thank God for the ones that we had in the, in the parking lot here in the, in the yard, but North Carolina, the word is getting out like never before. That's a prison perspective. He said, I'm getting to minister to palace guards. The whole palace guard knows I'm here because of Jesus. I've made it very clear. I've made it apparent. He goes on to say, verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, me being in prison has actually emboldened others to preach like they've never preached before. What, what can your prison do for someone else? What can your chains do for someone else? How are your chains strengthening? And I mean, that's a whole nother level of encouraging someone else that you get locked away and other people rise to the and say, we're going to pick up his slack. We're going to pick up what he can't do and we're going to preach like we never had. That's what he's saying. Now look at this. It's not all perfect. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach guys from preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. So he's saying there are those that are trying to bring me down, and there are those that are coming against the gospel, and there are those. He's saying it's not all perfect. He goes on to say, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Look at this in verse 18. What then? One translation reads this. But what does it matter? And see, we've got to have a what does it matter mentality. When it is what it is, you've got to have a mentality that says, who cares? What does it matter? Because here's the thing. When you get your energy off of what you're supposed to do, when you abandon what you're supposed to do by fighting something that you're not called to do, then we, we, we get our focus onto what's next, so then we abandon what's now. You hear what I'm saying? He's like, I, I don't have the energy to fight that battle. And that's not my battle to fight. And if I'm over there trying to fight that battle, then I can't win the palace guards that are right in front of me. If I'm over here trying to make sure so-and-so's not going behind my back preaching things that I wasn't preaching and preaching false lies and preaching out of selfish ambition and only doing it for, if, if I was trying to fight that battle, he says, but what does it matter? Who cares? I'm making influence right here where I'm at. And there are others. You know, one of the greatest things that we need to be doing in seasons like this where it seems like challenge is on the rise and that's all that everybody's talking about and thinking, you need to find something to be grateful for. Gratitude has to rise. When gratitude is high, discontentment is low. When gratitude is high, just you find yourself less co complaining a lot less. All of a sudden, life isn't that bad. Right? When I'm living with a grateful attitude, I hear the birds ch chirping all of a sudden. <laughs> right? You start finding ways to be thankful and grateful 
in what it is, what it is now? So we've got to be careful that the way it is now doesn't rob us from what God wants to do next. No. I'm going to have a recognition that this is temporary. This is momentary. This is subject to change. But while I'm in it, I'm going to find something to be grateful about. I'm going to see what God is doing because he's still up to something. He's still working in the midst of all this. He's still, his, his kingdom is still advancing. He hasn't stopped. He's not shutting down. He hasn't put, been put on lockdown. He hasn't been put on shutdown. He hasn't been locked away in his room. God is still working. We need to see how God is working right now. So I'm not going to be slowed by what it was. I'm not going to be stopped by what it is. And number three, the third thing that hinders our progress, what you thought it would be. What you thought it would be. John chapter 11. Just a simple encouraging word for all of us as we continue to advance and continue to move forward. I believe God is up to something. Somebody told me, well, aren't you afraid that all your church members will just want to stay home and watch it online? I said, well, one, I'm not going to make it available online that long. (laughs) I'm not falling for that one. Number two, no, I'm not. See, I believe that you get out what you put in. See, there's a reason why April was our largest giving month of the last third of the last 12 months. It's because we got out what we put in. We put in a, a priority for seeking the kingdom first, and all the things that we need will be added unto us. We put in a value for generosity, and the church will meet needs, and in return, God will see our needs met. Amen. We put in a priority of taking care of the house of God, and that's not because we're in the in the building physically, but there are many other ways to give and be a blessing to your church and make sure that your church's doors can remain open and continue to bless your community. We put in those values and those priorities ahead of time, so when the challenge came, that's what we got out. You can't get out what you don't put in. And so the same thing with our church. We have such a a strong church that understands the value of assembling together, understands the value of being in the house of God together, serving together, fellowshipping together, worshiping together, learning together, that the anticipation for people, I had some of you asking me to open my doors way sooner than we were ready to open our doors. Thank you for that. We're going to use wisdom as well. But in all of that, I knew when our doors opened, we were going to see people flood flood back. And I believe that's going to continue to increase. Amen. And so, you know, we have to recognize that God is up to something. God is still moving and God is still working. John chapter 11, three things that hinder progress, what it was, what it is. And this is a big one. Because I've seen people get slowed and even stopped in their tracks because it wasn't what they thought it would be. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. 
It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So they've got motivation behind this thing. Look, we're, we're part of your family. We're part of your followers. You know us well. We're not just those fair weather fans that show up when you come to town and then you start talking weird stuff and we're like, oh, we don't, want, we don't want to drink your blood and eat your body and we run off and go do our own thing. There's a lot of, Jesus had fair weather fans. Hello, as long as he was healing the sick and raising the dead and putting on this little magic show for everybody, they were like, ooh, wow, listen to the words he teaches. But then when he got to the crux of things and got to the heart of the matter, but these people came out of some stuff. These people went through some stuff and God delivered them, Jesus delivered them. And so they're like, man, we're close, we're, we're with you. Well, now their brother is sick. And he said, and she says, Lord, The one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved. So that's setting expectation. Man, you know, they, they sang that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, because he told me so. Because the Bible says, like this, the, this Bible literally says that he loved the three of them. You see that, right? Look what it says. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he left immediately to get there in time before he died. <laughs> Is that what it says? So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That does not sound like a love response. I love you so much, I'm not going to heal you right now. <laughs> what in the world? Y'all, y'all seeing that, right? Like we, they didn't type that in. That's an actual Bible translation up there. That's what my Bible says. So when he heard that, He stayed right where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because of the light that is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now, the disciples don't know the deterioration of Lazarus' body over time. If they would have left immediately, they would have made it there in time to get him before Lazarus died. What was their expectation? Mary and Martha believed, Jesus, if you can get here in time before he dies, you can heal him. That was their expectation. That's a great expectation. That's a great way to believe. I mean, hey, when challenge comes, they had the right response. I know who can fix this, Jesus. And if he makes it here in time, before he dies, they can raise him up. He can raise him up. But the disciples don't know what's taking place. 
And so verse 12, his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. (laughs) The disciples are so literal with everything. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, okay, guys, you're, you're not on the same way. Let me make it clear. He dead. He gone. <laughs> That's what he says. Lazarus is dead, right? He said to them plainly, can't get any clearer. You understand me now? Lazarus is dead. And now they're thinking, wait a minute. We would have left when we would have left. We, he wouldn't have died. Like, you said this sickness is not unto death. I mean, all of the expectation here is Lazarus is not going to die. He's going to get well. If you say that he's sleeping, then that means he's going to get better. We're going to go there. You're going to lay hands on him. He's going to live, and we're all going to be fine and dandy. That's the expectation. That's what they thought was going to happen. Well, we know Jesus shows up. And he's already been in the grave four days. Like he's long gone. Nobody had been. Jesus had not raised up anybody after four days. They've seen Jesus do some miracles. They've they've seen Jesus raise the dead before, but nothing like this. Like they're already in the groom. They've already embalmed. We've already had the funeral. We've already been mourning and we've already done. People have already brought the cakes over and sent the flowers and done all this stuff. Like he's gone. And if you go down to verse verse 32, there's a lot more in there. Verse 32 is what I want to focus on. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, watch, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where was she struggling? What she thought it was? What she thought it would be? See, God wants us to live by expectation. God wants us to live by faith. But here's the key. Our expectation cannot become his limitation. My expectation cannot become His limitation, my expectation, my faith is not a box to put God in and to see him move in. My expectation is to be stretched beyond that and say, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to fix this, however you want to solve this, whoever you want to use, whatever you want to bring, however you want to meet this challenge, that's what my faith is open to. My faith believes that whatever you do, you're going to see that Lazarus lives. This is what Jesus meant when he said, this sickness is not unto death. If you actually look up the translation when he says, this sickness is not unto death, it almost sounds like he lied. Because he what? He died. Uh, Jesus, you said this sickness is not unto death. What's the problem? You lied. No, if you actually look that up, it actually says, this sickness will not end. In death. Will not end in death. Now I know when we usually think of death, we think that's the end. 
But what Jesus was saying was death is not the end. Death is just simply part of the equation. He's saying, I'm not done yet, guys. Hold your horses. We're not done. You're trying to limit limit me with your expectation. You're trying to put me in your little box of, okay, we're going to reach out to Jesus. He's going to travel here because he loves us, and he's going to lay hands on him, and he's going to get well before he dies. And now that he's died, it didn't fit our mold. It didn't fit our box. It didn't fit our equation. And so now our faith is gone. Just prior to this, he has a conversation with Martha, and, and Martha says, uh, you know, uh, or Jesus says, You'll, you will see your brother again. Oh, I know, I'll see him in the resurrection. He says, girl, I am the resurrection. I, resurrection is standing in front of you. Resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is not a day. Resurrection is me. I'm resurrection, and wherever I show up, dead things come back to life. And the whole thing, remember he said this is not unto death, but for the glory of God? He was trying to show him, look, if God can bring something back to life after four days, he can surely bring me back to life after three. This is six months before his crucifixion and his death and his burial. He's trying to help them understand that God brings things back to life. That death is not the end. That when you see my body on that cross and you see the holes and you see the nails and you see the thorns and you see that that flesh just barely hanging up there and you see the breath of life come out of it and you see them pull my body down and put it in a tomb, I'm telling you in three days I will rise again. In three days I'm coming back. And you saw me do it after four, you know I can do it after three. His picture is much bigger than ours. His perspective is much greater than ours. So don't let your, your progress be slowed by what you thought it would be. I thought I would have this by now. I thought I would have been healed by now. I thought I was going to do it this way. I thought I was going to go to the doctor and they'd say, it's all gone, we can't find any traces. I thought it was going to let, let me go from that. I thought I was going to get my job back. I thought we were going to bounce right back. I thought he was going to sustain. My thoughts cannot be my limitation and the playground that we put God in to say, okay, stay in there. Don't come out. No. God wants to stretch our expectation beyond what we think it can be. So I'm not going to be slowed by what it was. My past is not greater than my future. And I will not highlight the things that I loved about my past and run back to them because it will compromise my future. And I will not be stopped by what it is. What it is is momentary. What it is, is temporary. What it is, will eventually run out. There's a clock on this thing, and God's going to shift some things, and God is going to change some things, and in the meantime, while it is what it is, I'm going to see what God is up to. And then lastly, I'm not going to be stopped. My progress is not going to be hindered by what I thought it was going to be, by what I thought was going to happen. I'm not going to allow my thoughts to be the box to keep God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. 
By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.